Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today. That's j u v e d e r m.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favorite Eurovision podcast. We're back with a brand new episode as we edge closer and closer to Turin next month. My name is James and I'm joined as ever by the wonderful Rob Lilly. Hello. Hello there. Very quickly because we've got a lot in today's episode, so I don't want to labor this point too much, but just a point of business early on. Are we allowed to still call ourselves the world's favourite Eurovision podcast? Because you may be aware there is now another Eurovision podcast, quite a well-known one, with mm. Steve Holden, formerly of... I say formerly of, I'm sure we'll come back on, he's not dead. <laughs> I mean, are we still allowed to call ourselves the world's favourite Eurovision podcast? That's the that's the question for you. Well, I'm going to say, I'm going to keep saying it until we get told otherwise. How about that? It's perceptive, <laughs> isn't it? I, th- I mean, it's my favourite, at least. Yeah, and it's and it's my favorite. So in my world, it's the world's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> right, we have got so much for you today. So let's get on with it. It's time for the world's favorite Eurovision podcast. It's time for the Eurotrip. As you know, Alessandro always said, take it away. Hi, we are Daniel Kakamagnet, and you're listening to Eurotrip. I don't close any doors. I love Eurovision. I love this Valen, and it will always be a part of me. That night, I found myself. Live on Russian state television for, for Russia's Song for Europe. I said to Joe, send BBC Teenage Life. Maybe two weeks later, I was at a press conference and I was on Making Your Mind Up. Everyone was like, Eldar, come, celebrate with us. The end of filming, they put honey on my face and I needed to be, you know, sexy with this honey on my face. Hi there, my name is Martin Estudal. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. 
Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, James. Me, Rob. And this week, we've got a big one for you as we are joined by the BBC's series producer of Eurovision, it's Lee Smithurst. Yeah, always good to get Lee on the podcast, isn't it? He was last on in December 2020 when he told us all about the inner workings of the BBC and Eurovision. You loved it then, hearing from him. Well, he is back and this is as good. What an insight into the BBC and Eurovision 2022 you are going to hear later on. We're going to hear all about the selection of Sam Ryder, a little bit on the staging as well. And we're going to hear this all about when plans for a change in 2022 first started to begin. So we are trying to do everything we can. And the result last year is obviously the just, it's, it's actually what you needed to get to that next level to go. Something has to change. And even within sort of the BBC itself, there's a lot of people now that are behind it and, you know, making sure that we don't have a repeat of 2021, hopefully. Oh, I'm so excited for you lot to hear this interview. I heard it a little bit earlier on today and the amount of notes I made, Rob, I haven't told you about this, but honestly, it's practically an essay I've written about (laughs) the amount of notes I could have written from this. Oh, I'm so excited for you to have a listen to that a little bit later on. So make sure you stay tuned. But it's a jam-packed episode as ever. We're going to be chatting to Cory, who was at Eurovision in concert at the weekend over in the Netherlands as pre-party season continues. And the trek to Turin continues with the competition getting ever closer and very excited this week to be chatting all about the food of this year's Eurovision host city. So we've got all that and more still to come. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. So this is the Eurotrip. We're going to keep saying it, as James said at the start of the episode, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. Don't let anyone else tell you any different. And it is great to be with you for a jam-packed episode this week because we mentioned him earlier, Lee Smithers, the BBC's series producer of their Eurovision coverage, is joining me for a chat later on in today's episode. So stick around for that. We find out all about the BBC's plans for 2022 with now the competition. James, you'll have a countdown at this point of the episode. What do you reckon? How how long have we got? I don't know, but when I was chatting to Cory, who we'll hear from in a little moment, she told me it was four weeks. Is she right? I think she is, roughly, yeah. I think it was Tuesday, so yesterday, if you're listening to this on day release, was four weeks until semi-final number one. 28 days. So 27 days to go, if you're listening on Wednesday, until the first live show. Oh, God, it's getting closer and closer. Talking of the semi-finals over on our socials at the weekend, I thought I'd pop a question out there for you, which I'd quite like to do every now and again. I said, tell us who you think is going to be the shock non-qualifier of Eurovision 2022. So who's not going to make it out of the semi-finals? Got some different answers here. Patrick says, Austria. Jamie says Lithuania. Uh, Callum said Serbia. Uh, he then shadily said brackets, if you can call it a shot. Ooh. Uh, Scotty said the bookies have this as a comfortable qualifier. It has the components of a solid entry, but the song doesn't rest easily on the ears and almost completely devoid of a hook. What's he talking about? Sorry, Belgium. I'll miss you. Sort of. Scotty. Oh, dramatic that. 
Wow, it's all subjective, isn't it? Because you can ask somebody, do you like this song? Yeah, and people love it. Some people hate it. Oh, yeah, I love to get conversations like that going. And we ask those sort of questions all the time over on our social media. So make sure you go and give us a follow there. You can get involved there and you can get in touch with any of your comments about what we do here on the podcast, including I'm sure you'll want to get in touch with all your comments about our chat with Lee a little bit later on. So you can find us online. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. Already quite the ride, isn't it? Oh, see what I did there? Rafal's back. Oh, not again. Please get on with things you said. We need to make this quick. (laughs) Well, that was going to be my point. Already quite the ride, no pun intended, on the podcast this week. Because today's episode, honestly, we are hurtling through stuff because there is so much to bring you on today's episode. Lee Smithurst on the way shortly. We'll also have another chapter in the trek to Turin and we'll be heading over to the Netherlands for an insight into what happened at Eurovision in concert in just a moment. But James, there is still, as ever, some news from the world of Eurovision and potentially some very big news from the world of Eurovision. Yeah, so let's rattle through it, shall we? The biggest story of the week is that we may be down to just 39 countries competing in Turin next month, as on Tuesday morning, the broadcaster Khan reported that due to strikes in the country's foreign ministry, the delegation will be unable to attend the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, The EBU has yet to comment on the matter, so it could rumble on for the next few days or so, or it could have been resolved by the time you're listening, and that'll be just our luck. Just wanted to say, we have contacted the EBU for a comment. So when they bring that to us, if they bring that to us, we will bring that to you. Pre-party season has been continuing in earnest as both Israel Calling and Eurovision and Concert have taken place over the last week. A number of countries performed their songs live for the very first time, including Austria's Lumix and Pia Maria, Armenia's Rosaline and Georgia's Circus Mergus. Ukraine's Endry Kalush Orchestra were given special permission by their government to leave the country, attending both pre-parties over the last week, and they're due to attend the event in Madrid this coming weekend, alongside a whole host of their fellow competitors and a handful of special guests too. The fourth of five American Song Contest qualifier shows aired at the start of the week, where at the start of the show we found out that Texas, Alabama and Colorado were the public qualifiers from the previous week, and this week's jury qualifier was Washington. Just one more qualifier show remains, and that will take place next week. And finally, back to Eurovision tickets. They went on sale last week, but they weren't on sale for very long at all, as I think all of the tickets for the live shows were sold out, in about 90 minutes, Rob? Yeah, I think so. I don't know about you listening, everybody, but me and James certainly were, and James's girlfriend certainly was as well. She was trying to help us get tickets last week, and we're very sick of that fire hydrant capture thing, and also the <laughs> white screen that comes up every now and again, and then the seating map that tells you it's got seats for the final, and then it actually doesn't. So yeah, please to see the back of that. Oh, yeah, what a drama that was. I'm sure many of you were going through the same process as we were. So fingers crossed, hopefully you were lucky enough to get your hands on some tickets. And hopefully we might catch up with some of you in Turin because we'll be heading there in a few weeks as well. We certainly will. But of course, before we get there, 
The artists of Eurovision 2022 have been on quite the tour of the continent, haven't they? We've had Israel calling last week in the middle of the week. We have also, before that, had the pre-party in Barcelona. We had London in between those two events as well. And then last weekend, James, it was the big one. It was Eurovision in concert in Amsterdam. Yeah, that was the most recent one, was it? And yet again, I think I was getting FOMO when I was scrolling through my Twitter feed at the weekend and seeing so many of you in the crowd with the artists, sharing your pictures and your videos, getting the pictures with the fans, which is always one of the most wholesome things you see, isn't it? It is, although my favourite thing was when you messaged me with a picture that someone had put on social media of them with an artist, and you said, honestly, I've got no idea what which one of these is the artist. <laughs> Yes, and then having looked at it again, I think it may have just been a fan with a group of other fans and they were all just taking a photo together. (laughs) Yes, I don't think any of them were actually artists after all of that. But anyway, I thought I'd get a good reaction to what happened at the weekend. Of course, we spoke to Daniel Rosny from Radio 1 last week about what London Eurovision was like. So this week, I've invited... Corrie Wouders from Song Festival Forum. She's been a long-time listener to the podcast. She joined us a couple of times last year, so it was only right that we invited her on again to give us an inside view into what the concert was like at the weekend. It was so exciting. It was actually the first time in two years that I've actually been in a crowd. Like, uh, I mean, I've been to Rotterdam, but that wasn't a crowd because I wasn't press and I wasn't in, in the audience itself. It was so good to see people enjoying themselves, big crowds, cheering, dancing, having fun. Um, after two years, I, I was able to use my ticket for, I think that was April, the date on it said April 5th, 2020. Oh, no so they, way. I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was the date on my ticket for Eurovision in concert. So this has been a long time coming, it's hasn't it? It's been a long wow. time, yeah. 2019 was the last time um, the Eurovision in concert actually took place. So it's been three years. Well worth the wait, let's put it that well way. Well worth it. <laughs> we, we were chatting to Daniel Rosny from the BBC last week, who was at the London Eurovision party. And of course, that event is very different to Eurovision in concert, because Eurovision in concert is what it says on the tin. It is basically in a concert venue isn't it in a way is it kind of similar to being at the Eurovision Song Contest itself in a way it is just without the fancy staging and um without the the glitz and the glamour but with most of well well, there was supposed to be 28 performers but 27 27 of the acts that will be going to Turin were there as well so it was actually a, a grand final worth of artists plus some extra Wow, honestly, you can't get much better than that then, can you? Yeah. <laughs> of course, you mentioned that one had to pull out Cornelia, sadly uh, got COVID-19, so unfortunately yes, you didn't get to see her. But like you mentioned, so many other incredible acts. If you had to choose, give us an idea about what some of the standout performances were. If I'm saying to you now, Eurovision in concert at the weekend, which performers come to mind immediately? Well, of course, S10. She was last on and that was really um, exciting to hear her sing live, to to see what her song sounded like live and it sounded amazing. Um, Some other standouts were, well, judging by the crowd reaction was Chanel. She had a very loud crowd reaction and she was very popular. Um, It was really good to see Kalush Orchestra being able to uh, come over to Amsterdam to perform. So they had a really good, really big reception as well from the audience. of course, I can't. Uh, I can't forget Sam Ryder. He really had the crowd going. He sounded amazing. His song, his voice is well. He's a spaceman out of this world, pun intended. 
And um, personally, I was very surprised by, because um, the song wasn't really on my radar before, but Jeremy McKees from Belgium, his, so he, his voice sounded really, really good and had some backing dancers with him and some really nice um, visuals at the back of um, the stage. And it really enhanced the performance. So I was really surprised by that. There's so many of those that I want to ask you about. Can I start <laughs> with the Netherlands, S10? Yes. First of all, before we chat about it, can you just clarify... For Eurovision, we're going to call her S10. Yes, S10. And she said, well, her um, officially her name is Steen, S10 in the Netherlands. But she said for Eurovision, she'll call herself S10. Perfect. That clarifies <laughs> that. If you, like yes. me, were wondering what she was actually going by. <laughs> what was her performance like? Because this is the first time we've seen her at a pre-party this year. Perhaps for a lot of people, it was the first time they've seen her live. Mm -hmm. She seems very popular amongst Eurovision fans at the moment. Yes. What are her live performances like? Does she really cut through? Yes, her voice, it's, it's, it's really um, very simplified, very um, neat performance. And her voice just cuts through everything. Um, it, the emotion really comes through, comes through when she sings. And, and the, the crowd was very silent during the silent bits. And then singing along to the uh, uhu and the ahas, even the, the ones that are that aren't from the Netherlands, that can't sing Dutch. <laughs> it's, um, it really was a moment and it was really classy and really impressive. I was really impressed with the voice. How about the United Kingdom then? You mentioned Sam Ryder before yourself to say that he was one of these big memories for you from the weekend. I feel like here in the UK, a lot of Eurovision fans I think we do this a lot every single year. We get a bit excited, we get a bit hopeful. This year seems to be like one of the big years that we can genuinely get excited. How about for you overseas? You're in the Netherlands, you're not a UK-based Eurovision fan. Is that sense of excitement going across the continent as well, do you think? Well, he's everywhere over here. He's, I mean, I saw, I saw him on the TV show yesterday, two days ago, people are talking about him. Um, and well, rightly so, because I think the song is really good and his voice is amazing. And Sam himself is, I mean, I just want to be his best friend. Everybody wants to be his best friend. Basically, he's such a cool guy. So, and that really comes across on stage as well. His voice is just amazing. <laughs> Have your opinions changed since you've seen these performances live? Because I saw on your Twitter account, it must have been on Saturday night or perhaps on Sunday, you tweeted, after seeing those performances, I have no idea who's going to win. Yeah, yeah. The acts that I thought were really, do really, really well, they did well. But the ones that I thought that, that weren't on my radar, like Belgium, they were they were upping their game. And um, I just, you just can't, it's, actually comparing apples to oranges um, and and I really don't have a clue how this is panning out because I obviously uh, some of the um, the the one the favorites like um, Sweden and Italy they weren't there so I can't judge their performances um, it's just I'm really confused <laughs> <laughs> at first I was really sure that uh, Ukraine was gonna win but for some reason I'm like okay Oh, but some of the other ones, they, the, the songs are really good. The performances are really good. And I wouldn't really, um, I wouldn't really say their, 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 their chances are hopeless or anything just because Ukraine is there. You know what I mean? So it's, it's not a done deal. 
Corey, you said you're confused. The confusion is only going to continue <laughs> over the next four weeks until we've got into it's Eurovision Week in Turin itself. Exciting so. times. <laughs> it really, really is. And great to chat to you again. I'm so glad you had a, a great weekend. And thank you for joining us again on the Eurotrip for, to chat all about it. Corey, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. This is the Eurotrip. Always good to have Corey on the podcast, as James said before, regular listener. So great to have you tuning in each week, Corey, and thank you for joining us. And yeah, you've definitely just given us even more FOMO about everything that happened in Amsterdam over the weekend. But now we cross the continent. I say cross. We go from north to south, I suppose, because from Amsterdam, we go to Turin. And it's time for this. Yeah, just because we've got a very busy episode, I hope you didn't think for a second that we would skip this week's trek to Turin, because this is the part of the episode where we look forward to Eurovision in, as we mentioned earlier, just four weeks' time now, and we aim to find out a little bit more about the host city of the contest. And one of the biggest things that I've been looking forward to finding out about is, of course, the food. It always comes back to the food with me, and that is why I've invited another couple of brilliant guests onto the trek to Turin. Now, we are going to hear from Abram and Cecilia. Now, Abram is, ironically, Dutch. It's a Dutch fest here on the podcast, having just had Corey on. Uh, but he has been a long time resident in Turin because he met Cecilia, who is from Turin, and they set up their events company. So they're called I Eat Food Tours and Events in Turin. And they invite tourists over to look around the city to try everything that the city has to offer when it comes to food and drink and all sorts of very exciting things. So I wanted to get them on the podcast. So. We talked all about the culinary scene of this year's Eurovision host city. And I started by asking how excited they were that Eurovision was coming to the city they call home. Well, Rob, we are, of course, absolutely thrilled and excited and we are waiting for it. We believe that uh, touring deserves much more attention because it's wrongly underrated. And it's a splendid and refined city that shows really a unique charm. So this is... Perhaps this is the moment where the whole world is going to recognize the power of the city, which is really an oasis for any uh, architecture, art uh, and cultural lover. But of course, it's also a beautiful place if you are a, a gastronaut. So an astronaut of flavors, uh, Torino has it all. So we are really waiting for work. To, we can't wait for uh, welcoming people from across the world. For this and, beautiful uh, uh, event, indeed, because uh, uh, after the Olympics in 2006, uh, what was also a big happening, Turin was really waiting for an international big event like uh, the Eurovision. And uh, because Turin is uh, uh, compared with the big cities in Italy, like Rome, a little bit underestimated still and need this beautiful support because it is a fantastic city to visit. Absolutely. Now, Abram, you have been lucky enough, obviously, now to live in, in Turin. You've been there for many, many years. But also you were obviously a tourist first when you were going over to, to see the city in the first place. So what, what was it like your first kind of arrival into the city what were your what were your thoughts and feelings about everything that you saw there well after the overwhelming part uh, of uh, visiting Sicilia, uh, <laughs> the city was uh, pretty much overwhelming too uh, when i first visited 
because it has uh, a lot of influences in architecture, but also in energy and feeling. And uh, for me, the energy is fantastic. It is such a positive energy, what I always feel, and not because of Cecilia only, but also because of the city, really. And it has a lot of Baroque, a lot of Renaissance, a lot of French influences also of the, the Royal Court of Savoy, what was... Uh, uh, ruling, of course, here in, the, in Italy and in the north in Italy, especially for centuries. And that you see still back in, 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 in Turin uh, nowadays. And it, it is really beautiful. It is uh, different, absolutely different than Milan. Torino is never on the bucket list or at least no. not on the first positions yes, not, not, yet. not yet but you have an amazing surprise because once you arrive Absolutely. here you say whoa well <laughs> i have to tell you we are now running for four years uh, our events and uh, we get tourists from all over the world and a lot of them indeed uh, would never choose or say to their family that they go to Turin and they say, but what is there to do in Turin? Because everybody goes automatically to the bigger cities, the more famous cities. And Turin was always a sort of closed bloom, what uh, really needs to come out uh, and how much better to do that in the springtime during the Eurovision. Now, let's talk about the one thing that I've been desperate to talk to you both about, which is the food, of course. How special is the culinary scene in Turin? How excited can people get about the food in the city? Well, you know, Rob, I believe it's very exciting because Torino has a flavour for everybody. So whether you are looking for a very traditional gastronomic scene, so to explore the most ancient dishes of our tradition, or you are open for something more, an outstanding experience, gourmet or Michelin star, or even just a beautiful mix, a fusion of flavors, well, you got it covered in Turin. Yeah. And that is what it's... Uh, uh, to me, a big plus value because you find everything at any budget. Uh, yeah. So it allows you to have great experiences, uh, whether you are for something more exclusive or something very, very authentic uh, and uh, down to earth. Uh, let me say, let me put you like this. Well, you you know, Robert, that the the the, the region Piemonte and especially the part of the Langa region, whereas Alba, uh, Asti. Uh, Monferrato, where is all the beautiness culinary scene of wines, uh, hazelnuts, white truffle in September, from September. Uh, so it is a sort of little Valhalla there, what you uh, don't have anywhere else in, 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 in Italy, uh, almost. Of course, there are other cities also beautiful, Parma, Bologna, there are also regions where is the culinary scene and uh, pretty much important, uh, but I think Turin has it all. Uh, and also, especially in wines, also one of the most important wines in, in the whole of Italy, even in, uh, in Europe maybe. So it is a, an absolute and important uh, region and Turin itself, because a lot of tourists comes first to the uh, longer region and then maybe to Turin, the city, but the city has much more to offer uh, in the culinary way than, than uh, the most people think. Now, 
if if we were to you know if anyone listening is to to visit the city they're to they're going to go on one of your tours or to one of your events what can they expect especially the tours you know what are they going to see what are they going to experience well we design different um, itineraries gastronomic uh, itineraries and what is nice to us to highlight is the fact that they are a reflection of who we are. So we wanted to give an immersive experience uh, to our uh, gastro travelers uh, where they could really experience indeed uh, the authentic the authentic vibes of the place that we go to discover. Discover and taste. Have, yeah. Of course, where they can have uh, a really an experience as a local uh, meeting uh, the producers, uh, meeting the faces, uh, the heroes behind these small locally owned businesses that we visit and where we have our tasting. To so, taste authenticity, but in a way that uh, you don't go to a little bit off the bitten path. So not the obvious places what the most tourists can find themselves. And that is what we love because we cooperate with a lot of uh, partners in the city center. And uh, we try to create a little bit a different uh, tasting route for our guests. And uh, of course, what is for us most important is that they have a lot of fun. Now, one thing that I need both of your help with. Now, we heard on the podcast a couple of weeks ago um, yeah. from someone who visited Turin. And they said, and, and we want to find out whether this is true. They said that a lot of the restaurants, they might shut, for example, between, say, 2 in the afternoon and 8 p.m. in the evening. Is that is that right? Is that kind of right? The Italians, yeah. they need their rest in the afternoon. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> some, no, 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 this is absolutely they are resting. That's why uh, all the tourists who come to Turin, they need to contact us because we bring them to places what are still open. <laughs> Places don't rest. <laughs> no, that's no, well, true. Yeah. yeah, it's true. In, in Turin, it's still like that. You can now find some places uh, open in the afternoon time, but usually around 2, 2 p.m. Yes. You can't have uh, lunch anymore. No. And they reopen around 7, 7 p.m. again. I've got a couple more important questions before we wrap up. The first one, I suppose, is... Is there one food or one dish that you would say people definitely have to sample or try when they're in Turin or it's it's a great example of the, the produce of the region? It's a kind of tough question because it's difficult to just pick up one uh, speciality that deserves to be uh, tasted. There are many. I can tell you what I would absolutely uh, do because I am a pasta lover and uh, the stuffed pasta from Piedmont yeah. it's really one of a kind especially we have uh, the so-called agnolotti del plin plin means pinch in the Piedmontese dialect which is a, a fresh made pasta egg pasta uh, that it's filled with three different types of roasted meat, uh, meal, chicken, or rabbit, and, um, and pork. Did I say correct? Beef, sorry, beef, chicken, or rabbit, and pork. And it's really fantastic to taste uh, with the butter sage sauce, so very plain because 
the flavor of the pasta must shine the more summer version is that or just with um, a nice uh, sauce of course the like gravy the of the meat sauce. that is more yeah. for in the winter i guess this is really yeah. a kind of must taste because we are the only one who have the clean well, uh, and the ravioli del clean this is <laughs> this is an, uh, a pasta dish fill a stuffed pasta dish what you uh, really can find uh, through all the city and also through all the region actually uh, but um, this is an iconic traditional pasta dish and then also in our tooth we had uh, last time a beautiful uh, pasta dish also stuffed pasta with a beautiful cheese castelmagno there are little pastas and this castelmagno cheese is a uh, refined aged cheese uh, it's the really king of the, the king of the piemont cheese. cheeses um, that together with the sauce of honey, well, it's amazing, really fantastic, yeah. This all sounds absolutely fantastic. Now, there is one thing that we have to do here on the Trek to Turin before we let you go, which is I need a word from you that our <laughs> listeners are going to take with them if they're going to Turin, even if they're watching the contest from home, they can use this word. But yeah, especially anyone coming to Turin, and I'm going to guess it's food related. What do you got for us? Well, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's a nice question because the most crazy words related to food perhaps are more linked to the southern of Italy. Uh, also because they have a different way of expressing themselves. We have a word which is kind of related to food, not strictly, but kind of, but it's really special and let me know if this can sounds okay for you but um, it says bo bo it's something that we say when we have no clue and in a kind of friendly conversation not in official conversation or formal but in an informal conversation you say bo non lo so bo i have no idea no idea bo but yeah. you also say if you are putting me some uh, wine and you are in a friend, not properly to a restaurant, but uh, you are having a little bit too much. Why is it? Bo, bo, bo. It means basta, stop. It's okay, stop. it's okay. okay. It's enough. So it's funny because one time I was with a friend from Naples uh, some time ago, and I say just automatically to her, bo, bo. What is Bobo? What is that? <laughs> and she's just Italian as me, but she had no clue that Bo meant it's okay like this no more. <laughs> Abram and Cecilia, it has been so good to chat to you. So thank you very much for joining us on the Euro Thank you, thank so, you much, so much. Thank you so much, Rob. Looking forward to meeting you in Turin. This is the Euro Trip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. So that's another stop done on our trek to Turin. And something tells me we may well hear from that pair again, not least because they were talking about food. And naturally, Rob, you were in your element there. Absolutely. I mean, you didn't hear all of the food chat there because let me tell you, the food chat went on for a very long time. I think we spoke about pasta exclusively for about 20 minutes. But <laughs> that has got my taste buds a jiggling for... Uh... For when we head to Turin. Hi, better times. I'll tell you what's got my taste buds are jiggling right now is the fact that we've got a chat with Lee Smithers to bring you. Nicely done. Yeah, the BBC's series producer for the Eurovision Song Contest, Lee Smithers, is a man who has a very, very interesting job and a man that I know a lot of you want to hear from, especially as we approach what could be 
I feel like we say this every year, what could be a very exciting year for the BBC and more specifically for the United Kingdom at Eurovision. Now, the reason we know so many of you are going to be interested in hearing from Lee is because, what is it now, maybe about 16 months ago, we brought you a very long and in-depth chat with him back in December 2020. He told us all about the James Newman year, about BMG, about his history with the BBC and the Eurovision Song Contest. And so, so many of you love that chat. In fact, it's one of our most listened to episodes we've ever done of the podcast. So it's great to have Lee back, as you said, Rob, as we get closer and closer to Turin and excitement levels are really starting to bubble, aren't they? They definitely are. So what are you going to hear over the next half an hour or so? You are going to hear a bit later on a little hint about the staging that we might see for Sam Ryder's performance in Turin. We're going to hear all about the selection of Sam Ryder. We're going to hear all about the BBC kind of tearing up the rule book and starting again for 2022. How did the relationship with Tap Music begin and the relationship with BMG end? So much to come from this. And also to mark your card as well, we're going to hear a few names mentioned, especially we're going to hear Andrew mentioned. Who is Andrew? Andrew is Andrew Cartmel. He is the BBC's head of delegation. So that is the Andrew that gets mentioned. And also Rachel Ashdown gets a lot of mentions as well. She is the BBC's commissioning editor of entertainment. But uh, James, should we get to it? Yes, please. Let's get on with it. Well, this is what happened when I sat down with a very busy man. He just got off his flight from Amsterdam. He was back in the UK. So here's what happened when I chatted to the BBC series producer of Eurovision, Lee Smithurst. So Lee Smithurst, welcome back to the Eurotrip. Thank you for having me again, Rob. Nice to meet you in person. It was James that last spoke to you in December 2020. Now, if we just look at what your world and the BBC Eurovision world looked like back then... You couldn't confirm that James Newman was returning in 2021, I think, at the time that we spoke to you then. It was all eyes on Rotterdam. You were working with BMG, of course, back then. And now here we are, what is it, 15, 16 months later. We've got a new artist. We're looking ahead to a competition in Italy. And, of course, a different record company. So how do you reflect on on everything that's happened in that time? (laughs) Gosh, it seems so long ago now. I can't even believe it is that long ago. But so much has happened in that time uh where should we start i mean uh let's focus on this year because i mean everything you know touchwood so far is going so well and everyone is hugely pleased that the label tap ourselves at bbc is so pleased at how well sam and his song have been received because obviously you think about things but you never know what people are actually going to think and obviously there's lots of internal discussions about you know, which direction everyone wanted to go in. And everyone was so behind Sam from the moment that he said he was interested that it's great that, you know, a large proportion of the fan base and all the media that Sam is doing is, are in the same position. So that's that's great. But yeah, a lot has changed since that, that last uh, Zoom we had. It's weird, isn't it? Because a lot have changed and then a lot also hasn't changed in the world of Eurovision. Like there are some things that you always do every year and then so much is also so different. You talk about that relationship with TAP. How has that relationship been? What's it been like working with with TAP? And obviously such a big label. You had the relationship with BMG last time. Is it a similar relationship? Did TAP have more control than BMG did? You know, what's the kind of BBC TAP collaboration look like? Yeah, it's a, di- it's a different one to uh, BMG because obviously they were a label that were then uh, across all the, the funding of the whole project. Whereas uh, TAP have been uh, incredible, like Ben and Ed at tap they are a consultant so their job was to their remit was to go and find 
the best possible representative for the UK and best song that they could find. And obviously with that comes a lot of other things that you want. Um, so obviously the, the song and the artist are paramount, but they also need to, to make it a successful project, which everyone wants. You need a label that are also behind it that can, that are able to do what we've been able to do with Sam, which are do a great international promo tour and all things that were on a tick list of things that you, you want going into this. And it was actually someone called Erin who works with Ben and Ed at TAP who brought Sam to the table. She manages Coz, who is the producer of Space Mam. And that's how that song and Sam initially came to the table. Um, and then Ben and Ed sort of met the label heads of Parlophone, which are Sam's label, Nick and Mitch. Um, and I'm sure that Sam's told the story of how it was brought to him. And then he said yes. And from there, it sort of snowballed into everything else falling into place. So the relationship is different in that, for, for some extent, yes, Ben and Ed are still involved in the project, but they're more sort of a back seat now because their job was to bring us, you know, the best possible artist and, and song for Eurovision this year, which I think they definitely have done. But since then, so since Sam was announced, it's very much been BBC Studios, myself and Andrew and Rachel, our commissioner, working with the label. So Parlophone, Nick and Mitch are the presidents of that. And then we have a great uh, international, so Warner International actually do Sam's international promo, uh, Liberty and Ali over there. And all the stuff that you're seeing that Sam is doing and all these chat shows and gigs that he's doing are all coming from that incredible Warner department, which have just been amazing to be able to secure all these great things that Sam is doing and I think it's worth mentioning as well that yes Eurovision has opened the door for Sam to be on these chat shows but I think it all comes from Sam having a story that people are interested in and how he became so big on TikTok and social media and he's already got that fan base so there's already an interest in Sam and Eurovision is just another nice story to go with it but yes he's got things to talk about which is good. You've mentioned there so many big names in the in the music industry, in the entertainment industry. You know, you mentioned Tap, you mentioned Warner, you mentioned Parlophone, of course. How nice is it from your position at the BBC to see all of these big brands and these companies wanting to put that effort in when it comes to the Eurovision Song Contest? Because we're so easy to dismiss it here in this country and it would be so easy for the companies not to get involved. But they clearly want to. And there seems to be a bit of a shift with that this year, especially. Yeah, and I think going back to summer last year, myself and Andrew and Rachel, um, who were part of Rachel's Eye Commission, I mean, Andrew worked for BBC Studios. We uh, met Alad Jones, who's the head of Radio One, to just have an initial conversation of how, how can we get Radio One to be on board next year with Eurovision? And it's not that in the past, I don't think they've not wanted to support, but I don't think they've either thought that the artist or the song was right for their for their station. So they were on from the early days, Radio One, before we had the conversations with with Ben actually and they were always very much interested in being able to help if it was the right artist and the right song which I totally understand and then when Ben came on board as well it just helped those conversations with Radio 1 and then when Sam was on the table with Spaceman it became more apparent that more people were going to get behind and support the entry which is all you can ask for really on a on a home level which is I think seeing some of those interviews that Sam has done with this morning and, and GMB and other ones that I, I always think it's, we've still got a long way to go here to just change that general perception. But I do feel like it does. I don't know. Correct me if you think differently, Rob, but I do feel like Sam has made a, a shift now in perception here. I think there's a long way to go to change, you know, the overall perception of the general public that might tune into Eurovision once a year. 
But I just think everyone's hoping that if Sam can do as well as we hope at Eurovision, then that can be the turning point to not have the endless conversations about politics. And it's all about Brexit, which we I think we all agree that that is not the case. Um, so it will be nice if we can get a, a, what I think is a deserved good result at Eurovision for Sam. And then we can start to turn the tide in the UK. But I think to answer your other question with the label, I think Warner have been so good at... Um, at promoting Sam at home and in Europe. And then, yes, it's nice that they're getting behind it. It's a big project for them. And I think everyone, everyone, and I think Ben is such a sort of spearhead of getting everyone into, if, we've got, if we're going to do this, we have to put absolutely everything into it. So it does feel like every department is feeding in to make sure that there's no stone left unturned to make sure that we can try and maximise Sam's chances. Because as we know, there are lots of other countries across Europe who are doing the same for their artists. And I know that we've always sort of felt behind in that respect. So we are trying to do everything we can. And the result last year is obviously the just, it's, it's actually what you needed to get to that next level to go. Something has to change. And even within sort of the BBC itself, there's a lot of people now that are behind it and, you know, making sure that we don't have a repeat of 20 21 hopefully <laughs> you mentioned the BBC at the end of, of what you were saying there obviously you said yourself you know obviously you work for BBC studios do you mind just giving us a bit of an insight into how things have changed at the BBC because there does appear to be a bit of a shift from the outside looking in as to how the whole process is managed from the BBC's point of view you know you mentioned already Radio One coming on board as well kind of skew towards maybe focusing on a younger audience but also there's the move up to Salford as well away from London so there does seem to be a lot of changes going on there as well. Yeah I think the main sort of uh, spearhead at the BBC is Rachel Ashdown who's our commissioner who is hugely passionate about Eurovision and um, she was on the Eurovision reference group up until recently so she She's really handy to have as our commissioner because she understands the ins and outs of Eurovision because she sat on the reference group and she does understand that what other countries are doing and how we need to compete. And some of that comes down to the, the way that it's funded and the way that we can, we can increase our chances to do better. So what happened actually before we went, before we knew anything about the result in May, myself and Andrew already started talking to either labels or artists about the next year to just start that process earlier because we've not necessarily been on Eurovision all year. I'm a freelancer. I'm not staff at the BBC, so I do other shows. So it's not possible for me to dedicate all my time to it all year. And I think you do need people across it all year. And that is something that we, um, we haven't been doing. So myself and Andrew did do sort of part-time from summer because it's not a full-time job from summer, but it means that from summer we were both on and we could both make calls and be in meetings. And it meant that from May, there were people sort of driving this. So we weren't in a position where we were sort of too late to to start to do things properly. Um, So yeah, myself and Andrew and Rachel start from the beginning about how can we do this and how can we change it? And like I said, you there's a tick list of things that you, as a BBC you need a label to be able to fund this properly that's a good thing and then when Ben came into the fold he's just the next level of you need someone we're TV producers we make television shows we don't necessarily have the right music industry context so you need someone like Ben to be able to do that second half of the the jigsaw to make the two things come together. I'm intrigued as to what 
that moment was like when you knew that Ben wanted to come on board. Of course, you know, we, we've heard from Ben Morrison on the podcast a, a while ago, you know, back on, back in October, I think it was, when the announcement was made that that the BBC tap collaboration was going to happen. But what was that moment like when you started hearing that Ben wanted to be involved and tap wanted to be involved? Because presumably in that kind of window between the final in May 2021, the result that happened, and then tap coming on board, there was a lot of uncertainty about what might happen for 2022. Yeah, so how, how it happened was I actually spe- uh, sent Ben an email about one of his artists in around June. And he immediately called me up and said, this artist isn't right for Eurovision. However, I've been talking to my wife, who we know is Miriam, who hosts Eurovision in 2015 and she had said to him why aren't you doing this why aren't you helping like Ben is so passionate about British music uh, and especially artists that he's got like Julie from promoting them worldwide and um, he said so I don't uh, I don't think my artist that you've approached me for is right however let's talk about Eurovision because maybe there is a role I can play in it and that was not something that was considered before that And then once we had that conversation, I introduced Ben to the rest of the team and the conversations went from there. And we met Ed, who's his business partner, and they said, let's do it. Like we would want to come onto this project and we will speak to everyone that we know and we will find you the best artist and song. And then we they were so passionate about it that you just put your faith in them. They've got a track record of being able to make international hits. Ben understands the music industry like no one else. And it just feels it just felt like it was right. For everyone he's a go-getter and I think probably more so with BMG because they're a huge company Ben and Ed are putting their own names on the line for this if it doesn't well it has gone right because whatever happens with the result I think we can all agree that Sam's been such a great ambassador and the song has been so well received more so that we could ever dream that there isn't anything that we can do about the result apart from you know, do the best performance we can but you can't control the results so I think whatever happens it's already gone much better than all of us could have hoped for the reception Sam's had um but yeah I think there was more on the line for Ben and Ed to do a good job because they're two people so they would you know they're ultimately responsible for who they put forward but I think Ben said this himself that there was so much interest that Ben was able to it was I say surprising probably not after Monoskin that you get you get interest but, um, you know, there were definitely like really big names interested in songs that Ben, sometimes he'd bring songs that didn't have an artist attached, but it just felt like when Sam popped up, all the sort of stars aligned with everything else that came with Sam. And I think you don't want to get too clinical about what makes a Eurovision winner. And obviously the song wasn't written for Eurovision. But, you know, me personally, I just think Sam has got such an undeniable talent that you hope he's going to appeal to those music juries because he's got an incredible voice and I think that he's got such a huge social media following that the UK have never done well for even in the Lucy Jones year where we actually did better than we had it was the jury vote that was great but the televote was still not where we needed it to be and I think we just hope that Sam's fan base will mobilize into voting for him because there's 17 million social media followers out there that follow Sam because they love him and they love his content so even if we can mobilize just a small portion of that to vote on the night then that would be incredible it would be much much better than we've done in previous years so yeah it's good I think everyone is really happy and the more stuff we do with Sam I feel like there's more momentum building around him and it's nice to see that what we saw when we first met Sam, which is he's genuinely the nicest guy and he has 
he just has such a great I don't want to say this word it's like he has a great aura about him and he just exudes positivity around everything and he's thrown himself into this project I mean I can't even tell you I don't even know when the last time he had a day off was <laughs> but even from Sam's from Sam's own point of view he is also not wanting to lead any stone unturned he's like let's work right up until Eurovision obviously conscious that you don't want to overwork Sam and there are times where he's you know gets time off in the day but he just wants to make sure that he's trying to go to as many places as he can to meet as many people as he can because you only get this opportunity once don't you and you know you can you can rest after Eurovision. When did when did that happen that first meeting with Sam when were you introduced to Sam and to Spaceman and and had there been other artists and songs you mentioned by the sounds of it that had been before we got to Sam? So when did we officially, or when did you, I suppose, or whoever it is at the BBC that signs on the dotted line that Sam Ryder, BBC, Eurovision 2022, that's going to happen? It was in January. So when when Sam said he was interested, and I know he's told this story himself about the label coming to him saying, do you want to do Eurovision? And he was uh, midway through his tour and he said, give me a couple of days because I need to get the tour out of the way first and then have the headspace. And then he said, yes. And I think we were all hoping that Sam would say yes to it. So I think it was quite a quick decision after that, that once Sam said yes, and that was the song. I think, you know, everyone was in agreement from TAP and BBC that this is the artist that we want to go with. Um, and then from that point, once that happened, then it's it became more working with the, Sam's label because they are ultimately the ones that are responsible for funding the project. And they've been working with Sam across all his other releases last year so then Ben Ben is still hugely supportive of the project and he helps out when he can but he knows obviously now it's the label job to do their job with Sam um, and Ben sort of feeds in now and again but yeah the label have done such a great job of getting him out and about in Europe it's it's incredible well let's talk about that because you have been you know you've been with Sam all over the place I know last weekend of course many of our listeners will know that you were in Amsterdam what was the whole Amsterdam experience like because it just seemed on social at least you know wild to see so much support for Sam and so much warmth for Sam from not just the Eurovision in concert audience on the Saturday but then also just when he was busking out and about on the Sunday as well. No it's great and you know you don't want to get carried away it's it's important to keep grounded and not get you know too carried away that you know even that you could win we don't really think about that I think everyone's just focused on getting the best result we possibly can but it's nice to see that when Sam did his sound check in Amsterdam a couple of the other artists came down to watch him do a sound check so all those little things are just encouraging to know that there are people that are really interested in Sam and love his talent um, and yeah, the busking thing was incredible that so many people turned up. And I think for Sam, that's probably the bit that he enjoyed most because the Eurovision event is, you know, there are other artists there and people bought tickets. So, you know, they're going to turn up. But I think for Sam to just drop a pin on his Instagram and say, I'm going to be here in half an hour and see so many people turn up. It's sort of a real call and response to what you're doing, because you know that you're actually making an impact there. And then and people are actually taking time out of their day to come and come and see you. Uh, somewhere in Amsterdam and he he totally understands that people don't have to do that and it's nice that you can that there are so many people supporting him and other highlights as well on this European press tour as well I know Dutch TV I think on on Sunday evening as well there was the the appearance on Bulgarian television as well and and that coincided I think didn't it as well with being in Bulgaria for the live on tape performance yeah yeah. So the good thing is that when we have all these um, Eurovision events, the ones that are the Madrid pre-party and the Amsterdam one and Bulgaria, we knew we were doing live on tape. 
is that you can say that we're going to be here for like two or three days and then uh, Ali and Liberty at one and literally just fill up the days with promo. So he did the Bulgaria chat show, but on top of these things that you probably don't see because they're just in the local markets, uh, he must have done maybe like four or five radio interviews and like the equivalent of sort of MTV chats. And he did the same in the Netherlands. He did the chat show on Sunday, but then before that, he'd done a lot of radio promo and done some acoustic sets there. So the days are full with with promo. And it's nice because in the past, we've just gone and done the Eurovision event. But I think it's just maximizing wherever he is. We just maximize that time. So there's no there's no time wasted because, you know, if he's there for two days, there's two days worth of promo opportunity if you if you can get it. Yes, he's doing a lot of Eurovision promo, but I do genuinely believe that Sam is an artist that people will be interested in long after Eurovision. And I think there's two things here, which is everyone's obviously promoting Sam because we'd like to get the best possible result we can because we've not done well in recent years. But also to make sure that this is just a grounding, you know, this is this is the foundations for Sam now with Spaceman. But you'd hope that all these people that he's visiting, he can go back in six months or a year's time and promote the album or the next single or you know it's, it's laying the foundations for an artist's career which I think it's the same as Monoskin isn't it like you to win Eurovision wasn't their be all and end all I'm sure they want a career and that's the same for Sam yes he would love to win Eurovision I'm sure he would but he wants a, to build a great career how comparable is is this scale of of tour from your perspective from what you've seen in the past because you know you've been part of the BBC's Eurovision journey for many 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 years now as a fan, I, I'm trying to remember the last time we saw a tour of this size, which would have been, I don't know, Blue, maybe in 2011. I remember they were all over the place when it came to European publicity. Is it is it similar to that for you? It doesn't. I, I don't. Rem, I don't remember it being on this scale for a very long time. No, and I think I think before Blue, probably I didn't do any of the years in between that. But I don't think any of the sort of Lucy Jones or Surrey or definitely not Michael Rice. They didn't have label backing, so they couldn't go and do promo tours. Um, and I think I think you do need a label to be able to do that because we're a, we're a television company. You know, we can't be promoting music artists. It's just not something that we have one the contacts to do or, you know, the BBC can't be promoting some as a music artist across Europe. We It's just not something that you do as a TV station. And yeah, it, it it's frustrating because you there's only so much the BBC can do for a music artist and it's hard because Eurovision by nature is promoting a music artist and a song but it's obviously been going for 60 years so no one had the foresight to think what is this going to be like in this model going to be like in 60 years so it's so important that you've got a music partner to be able to do this. And full disclosure as well you know I used to work for the BBC as well and I, I want to just ask you this question because I think I already know the answer but I just want people to, to hear the answer from yourself. The BBC Eurovision Twitter account, often, you know, we see people like, oh, when are they going to wake up? Presumably, that's because the person that manages the BBC Eurovision Twitter account is the same person that manages, I don't know, the Strictly Come Dancing Twitter account. Or, do you know what I mean? They manage social for an awful lot more than just BBC Eurovision. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And also, I think before, there, there wasn't really anything to say before Sam, because I'm sure everyone knows now, it's in, in hindsight, that the plan was uh, to launch Sam on Radio 1 without having the Eurovision tag, because everyone just wanted to see how that would be, because we've always done the big, this is our Eurovision song, and it always comes with that tag straight away of never going to win and all the usual things that come with that. So everyone just wanted to try and see, let's get this song out there for two or three weeks before we say it's the Eurovision entry, so we can just honestly gauge 
how it lands and what people think about it. Um, so just by nature of that, we couldn't do anything about promoting on the social channels because we had nothing to say because you don't want that to get out because the whole point of doing it was that we wanted to wait, see how it was received and then announce it three weeks afterwards. And you must have been delighted with how it was received and presumably, well, I was going to say presumably that would be a tactic going forward, but you've almost like you've let the secret out now. Haven't you? No, can't do it again, Rob. It's happened once. <laughs> but yes, uh, I don't know what would happen again, but it was nice to see how how you could do it slightly differently than we've done before. I think Sam was already, I know that Scott's done a lot of spot plays of Sam in the past. And I think when we brought Sam to the table for Radio 1, he was already sort of an artist that they were engaging with. I think not just Scott, but some of their other um, some of their other DJs have been playing, had been playing Sam for a long time from his last EP. So it felt like a natural move for them to get behind him for this this project. So it it just it all felt sort of like it felt fell into place that Scott would sort of lead on this. And Scott again has always been feeding in for the last couple of months with Ben when he's been sending ideas across because Scott is great that he understands the Radio 1 music world. And, you know, ultimately you want Sam to be a successful music artist and you want his music to stream. So Scott has two eyes here, which are one, is this going to be right for Radio 1 and is he going to get streaming out of this, whatever artist we were going to go with. And the same for Eurovision because he understands what does well there. And I think we've had this conversation before about a radio song is not necessarily the best song for Eurovision. It has to make an impact in three minutes. And I think with with Spaceman, you have sort of, it's doing both jobs well. Looking ahead very quickly at the time that we're talking now, I know that you've got the pre-party in Madrid at the weekend, which of course all eyes will be on and people will be looking forward to seeing Sam again. And then the big one, which everyone is going to look forward to hearing something about, which you're going to tell me you can't tell me anything about, but I know that you're busy working on at the moment, is, of course, the staging. Because we know Sam, we know the song, we know it's fantastic. But so much attention, of course, understandably goes on that staging and what's going to happen in Turin. The stage in Turin itself looks incredible. So there must be an awful lot of pressure right now to get that right. (laughs) Yes, there is. Um, one thing I can say is that Sam is so uh, he knows exactly what he wants right from the moment from the way that he wants the instruments to sound on the track, the way that he wants the staging to look. So Sam is hugely integral to what the staging will look like. He had concept ideas right from the very beginning and images that he had ready to send through of how he'd seen it on stage, which has been a huge help because it's all there and it's so clear of what he wanted it to look like. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be incredible. I don't want to oversell the staging. I know it's subjective what people think, but I think the key thing here is that it's come from Sam and it's his vision of what he wants it to be. Even things like the music video, which were not what you would say is uh, how you would probably expect the music video to look for that song. Um, But yeah, we're all hoping that the staging is going to be amazing because it feels like it's the one thing now that everything else has gone so well. It's the last sort of bit that we need to get get right. But everyone's across that. And actually, it's been shipped out to Turin as we speak. So (laughs) is it on a plane? Is it on a boat? Is it on a massive boat? Like, what's the deal? It's on a a P&O ferry. So that's not very uh, that's not very reassuring, (laughs) is it? It's on a P&O ferry and then it's getting on a truck to Turin. So it should be there in the next couple of days. Oh, well, fingers crossed. Absolutely. Final question. If all goes well, fingers crossed, we're looking there on the Saturday night, we're sitting on the left-hand side. Is it 
repeat 2023. We want to do exactly the same thing. We're going to be getting back in touch with Ben and Tap and let's do it all again or... It's impossible to say at this stage. You know what? It's impossible to say at this stage. I think let's see what happens. I think everyone is so focused on this year at the moment. Like Sam's so busy and there's so much promo going on that I don't think anyone has really had time to think about 2023 yet. Because I think we need to evaluate what happens. We don't know what the result's going to be or or what will happen. So I think we have to wait for that and then sort of think what we're going to do for 2023. I just hope that we can have... You know, I think Sam's already had great streaming numbers and support from from radio here. And it seems like the media is uh, definitely getting on board with Sam, definitely in Europe. I mean, that's been an incredible response. But I just hope that um, he can create a platform that people will want to do this for the UK next year. And not that other people don't want to do it. But as you can imagine, it's you have to convince people because people don't want to put their career on the line to, to come bottom five or last and you know the monoskin effect and hopefully Sam can get a good result for the UK will change that that people will want to come and do it and you'll be having to turn people down that's the dream isn't it that is the dream that's the future fingers crossed that we can all look forward to Lee thank you so much for being so generous with your time at such a busy time for you and good luck to you and everyone on, as part of the UK delegation in, in the UK at, uh, at Eurovision in 2022 you're welcome. Nice to speak to you, Rob. This is the Euro Trip. What an insight that was, Rob. Thank you so much for bringing us that chat with Lee. You are very, very welcome. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed chatting to Lee because we have got so much to talk about from what we have just heard. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us. Please do get in touch with your thoughts and tweet them to us at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Also, send us an email if you want to. If you've got any longer messages you want to send us, hello at EurotripPodcast.com. And there'll be loads of news stories as well, obviously, from everything that Lee has just told us over at EurotripPodcast.com. But yeah, an absolute pleasure. That interview conducted virtually across a dining room table a very pleasurable and enjoyable half hour was had by all. Yeah, that's the world of podcasting for you, isn't it? But um, I mentioned at the at the top of the episode, I made a, pretty much an essay about all the notes that I want to go through, where to begin. I think the big thing for me, one of the big things, at least anyway, is that Lee mentioned that last year's bad result, we kind of needed that really for, for this shift to begin in the UK. Yeah, it's a bit of good spin, isn't it? If you're in uh, if you're in Lee's position, but no, absolutely, I completely understand where he's coming from. You know, it almost had to get that bad for I don't think Lee necessarily or the the tighter sort of tighter knit BBC team, but for the BBC as a whole and the decision makers at the organisation to go, okay, we really need to change something, and that's what's happened, and it's given us what could be you know, our best chance anyway, at a decent result in 2022. So yeah, maybe maybe Lee is right. Maybe that result had to happen for change to happen at the wider BBC. And that will have hopefully positive repercussions for what's to come. And naturally, there's got to be a lot of credit that has to be given to the BBC, but also to TAP. And Lee said this himself, because he said, you know, that they are TV producers and they needed somebody like Ben to get involved because he is the sort of guy who understands the music scene. He knows the kind of artist, he knows the kind of song that would work. 
and thank goodness because it's looking pretty good for the UK this year. Absolutely. And also, well done to Lee for sending Ben Mawson that email in the first place back in June because then none of this may have happened if he hadn't have done that. You know, he mentioned that that's how Ben got on board in the first place. And also the power of having these big labels behind the UK's Eurovision entry like TAP and also Parlophone, which is Sam's record label, and also Warner, who are doing all of Sam's international press. You know, we see the benefits of that because Sam has been able to get himself showcased across the continent. We've had Spaceman on all sorts of outlets in all sorts of countries in the build-up to this year's contest. And as we know, that gives you the best chance possible of a decent result in May. It really, really does. And I think for me, at least, there's always three boxes you need to tick when it comes to a Eurovision entry. You need a good song. We've done that. You need a good vocalist. We've done that. But then it comes down to the staging. That's the final point, isn't it? And he wasn't giving much away, but it's lovely to hear that Sam was was involved from the very beginning. He brought some ideas to the table for what he wants to see on stage in Turin. And fingers crossed that it makes its way to the Eurovision host city (laughs) safely. As Lee told us, it's on a ferry, maybe even right now, at the point at which you're listening to this. It's on a ferry, and then it's getting on a big truck, and then it's heading to northern Italy and the the Pala Alpator, the host venue of this year's Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, there's just so much to unpack from that chat with Lee there. There's so much more we could chat about, but we we don't want to keep you for much longer. So make sure you get in touch with any of your thoughts about the stuff we mentioned there or any of the stuff that we didn't touch on that Lee really gave us a fantastic insight into, of course, at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. Now, of course, before we end every episode, we always do the one second song, but we're going to give it a rest this week and come back next week... You can hear sighs across the globe there as everybody thinks, oh, thank goodness we get a week off. And I'm a bit gutted because I've got a great one, honestly. I stumbled across this the other day and I thought, this has got to be this week's One Second Song. So if that isn't enough motivation to make you want to come back next week and find out which song it is, then I don't know what will be. Although what I can tell you to actually make you want to come back next week, we will have another interview with another one of the class of 2022 or perhaps we'll have two chats yeah maybe not just the one maybe two who knows maybe three maybe four no probably not four but (laughs) we'll have a a good few conversations with some of the stars of Eurovision 2022 because of course we put that on the back burner when we found out that we could bring you our chat with Lee I think you'll understand why having heard what you've just heard but yeah we'll be back to the Eurovision class of 2022 next week and of course there'll be another stop on the trek to Turin as well So until next week and the next episode of the Eurotrip, don't forget to, as we've said, keep in touch with us online, on Twitter, on Instagram, on the email and the website as well, eurotrippodcast.com. And make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, before I say goodbye, if you really enjoyed listening to that interview with Lee, leave us a review, give us five stars, go on, you know you want to. Anyway probably time for me to say goodbye i uh i did some homemade buttermilk chicken it's been a been a very decadent lunchtime wow on a tuesday yeah on a tuesday wow i had some doritos and hummus uh heat wave cheesy what did you go for uh cool original yeah good ones you 
like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.